I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison. And this is Podcast Without an Audience. It is Pride Month. It is Pride Month. But I'm also. I'm so excited. I completely <laughs> skipped over the rest of our intro. Also, we are. Uh, what do I say here? You, we pick two topics. <laughs> Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. Okay, now can I be excited for Pride Month? Yes, we can be excited. Happy Pride Month, everybody. Happy Pride Month, the gayest month of them all. The gayest month. And we are decked out today. We are. You've got our traveling rainbow sweater. We do. We fought over the sweater at Gabe's. If you've never been to Gabe's, run, not walk to Gabe's. (laughs) This sweater has gone back and forth between us for at least three years now. It's It's also 90 degrees outside and and I'm still still wearing it. Yeah. (laughs) I, on the other hand, am wearing a rainbow crop top. Which is very predictable for you at this point. Crop tops are, I feel like, becoming your signature. Well, so I had this revelation the other day of... A revolution. Exactly. And everybody is a crop top body. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I don't need to get down to any size that I feel like I should or whatever else before no, I start wearing it, wear them. No, fuck it. Wear a crop top. Because I feel hella cute. Oh, like, so cute. Even if it's just in the mirror before I walk out of the house and then all of a sudden I see pictures of myself, I'm like, whoa. Nope. Okay. We're keeping it positive. But I feel so good. It is when pride. I wear them. It's pride. You can't be sad during pride. It's just the rules don't allow it. Yeah. I So I've been thinking a lot about queer community and queer spaces and how much I miss them. Like I oh, miss I know. Greensboro had the cutest little gay bar that was open when we moved here and mm-hmm. up until the time I went to grad school. Mm-hmm. Like, when did Q close? God, it's I know been we at least five to, years. Yeah, I think we went to the closing thing yeah. together. But I miss spaces like that where you could walk in and just know that you're around family and you're around people who feel good and safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Even if you go there and don't talk to anybody else. Isn't that like that's the best thing about like going to a bar is like going there to meet other people and then like not even like <laughs> talking to anybody else other than the people that you There's came no with. Expectation, I yeah. miss that. Me too. Me too. Another thing I really love about the gay community is like the body positivity and even body neutral conversations that have been going on. Yeah. Like I just love how everyone's like bodies are beautiful mm-hmm. you know yeah we don't need to subscribe to the male gaze or western beauty principles like we can literally wear what feels good and what we love and it's a space for inclusion mm-hmm. yeah in so many ways and i am so ready last year of course all the pride festivals were canceled i know and pride is your absolute favorite thing in the whole wide world it is someone recently asked me what my favorite holiday was (laughs) it's pride june (laughs) which is interesting because in north carolina we don't have our pride festivals until august right or september even because it's so damn hot also we can't compete with the other big cities because people tend to like to travel to like new york and california yeah. and all those states have their prides in june yeah well and they don't like to do any major pride or any like states that are near each other they'll try and spread them out over a few months right so i'd be curious to see like when virginia's is because it's probably yeah in july or early august would be my guess yeah 
Um, and then and probably it just depending gets where. later. Yeah. I think some uh, cities in Florida have already had their prides. Really? I think so. I saw someone on Instagram post about huh. Jacksonville pride. I could be wrong, but I think cool. that that's what I saw. So I'm ready to drag everyone to pride this year. Mm-hmm. And masked or not, I will be there. Yeah. Probably masked. Masked. I'm going to go ahead and say that I will be masked. <laughs> so this week we've done something a little different. Yes. We coordinated. We coordinated. I'm not going to sing, but we our coordinated. Our outfits and our topics. Amen. Which I'm really glad we did because we wanted to be really intentional and we wanted this to be a celebration. Yeah. Absolutely. And we are both queer women, queer cis women, so we are going to talk as much as we can about all the different voices and people that are part of the queer community, and I'm just super excited to share our topics with you for this week. Me too. All right. What do you, you want got? me to get into it? I do. Let's do it. My body is ready. Okay. So I am talking about LGBTQ plus uh, adoption. Yes. Bring on the babies. Babies. So I'm going to say queer. I really love the word queer. I feel like it's very inclusive. Um, I know that some people dislike the word queer. LGBTQ plus is a long acronym, mm-hmm. which I also use, but will probably... You can also say Alphabet Mafia. I do like Alphabet Mafia. Um, is a really... It's will, just a fun way to say it. It really is fun. I'm also going to be using queer. Okay. Occasionally, I feel like I say gay, but like the gay community. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's pretty trans-exclusionary sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, queer, LGBTQ+, Alphabet Mafia, we see you, we know you're out there. Keep listening. Keep listening. <laughs> okay. So, this is going to surprise you a little bit, but LGBTQ parenting first began to be talked about around the time of World War II. Really? Yeah. It started, like, there were murmurings. It wasn't... Around World War II. Is this because all the men went to war and all the women got well, together? it's also about the time that divorce was semi on the rise. I don't think it had really hit its stride yet. Right. It was also about the time that Iggy and Ruth began raising <gasps> Buddy Jr. Well, link up there. Intersection so there. <laughs> But right after World War II, there were a few cases that went to court for child custody. Mm-hmm. So after, you know, people came back from the war, people were getting divorced, several same-sex couples tried to go and get custody so that they could raise kids together. And shockingly, uh, this was denied. Mm-hmm. The shockingly was incredibly sarcastic. Right. It is no surprise to anyone that this was denied. Sure. Uh, Beginning in the 1970s, a few state courts began to uphold custody rights for trans, gay, and lesbian parents through, though the court would frequently require that they not live with their partner or engage in homosexual activities. So from the 1940s, mid to late 1940s to the 1970s, they were like, absolutely not, too. You can have custody. But don't live together. But you yeah. can't live together? But don't live together or engage in any activities. Right. So basically, you yourself can be queer. As and, long as you're not coupled. Right. Oh. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of, well, all right. It's still not ideal. We got a long way to go. We're only in the 1970s. Yeah. Um, in 1968, so just pre-1970, Bill Jones, who was a gay man, became the first single father to adopt a child in California. Mm. 
And he was one of the very first nationally. I think he was in like the top two or three nationally. It still took another decade for New York to become the first state to not reject adoption applicants solely because of homosexuality. Mm. So we're starting to get somewhere. Very slowly but surely. Right. In 1985, some same-sex couples began to obtain quote-unquote second parent adoptions to secure children's legal connection to non-biological parents. Mm -hmm. This is still a thing that is utilized all over the United States and probably the world when both parents can't be on the birth certificate. So this is really common also for straight couples. Like if you are dating or married to somebody who has a kid Mm -hmm. and you want to adopt that kid, that's a second parent adoption. Okay. So, and it's a very similar process. Like I think you still have to do a lot of the home study requirements requirements that you would, at least in North Carolina, Mm -hmm. for any other type of adoption. This is, of course, much more common when a parent already has a child prior to being in the relationship. Like, if your partner, again, already has a a kid when Mm -hmm. they come into the relationship. However, in some states, even still, you cannot be on the same birth certificate. So when the baby is born, you still have to file to be a second parent Mm, Okay, for a same-sex couple. Did I explain that well? For exclusively same-sex couple? Uh, Yes, but not specifically in every state. Gotcha. Okay. Fast forwarding a little bit further. In 1997, New Jersey became the first state to allow same-sex couples to adopt jointly. Okay, Jersey. Hey, Jersey. I see you. I also am super shocked that it was Jersey. It's... it, It... that if you were going to say a state, I wouldn't have thought you would say New Jersey, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> All the twists and turns. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad that Jersey's here representing. Yeah. Also, when so I grew up in Delaware. Mm-hmm. I lived in Delaware until I was 10. And when my mom was like, you got to get these kids out of the house, she, she would tell my dad, you got to take them. And he would drive us to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. To get an ice cream cone. Do you know how far of a drive that is for ice cream? How? And then he, yeah. Why? That's my memory of New Jersey. <laughs> because my dad was like, look, we can't spend any money. What the hell are we going to do? Put him in the car. Go to Jersey. Go to Jersey for an ice cream cone. I love it. The only thing I really know about Jersey is that you can't pump your own gas. Like, they have to do it for you Isn't at that, gas stations. That's a thing up north, yeah. I've only ever seen it in New Jersey, but I haven't done a lot of exploring in the north so i like that. to pump my own gas i do too. i would find that weird for somebody to do for me because i'm fully i can definitely do it myself well and for me like i it seems like it's usually men and mm-hmm. i'm fine with that but i'm also very capable i want to be able to get out of my car and do my own shit it's also a good life skill like what if you never learn how to pump <laughs> your own gas and then and then you move to north carolina where you've got to mm-hmm. yeah no i'm with you I also feel like my topic this week is a lot of facts and figures. Um, I do have statistics about, or I do have um, information about children who are adopted by same-sex couples, but I really wanted to like give some of this background. Perfect. Because we talk so much about marriage equality, which was a huge thing, but we're still fighting for our adoption rights as queer individuals. Mm -hmm. So the background information is really relevant. Sure. It's called history. Yeah, we're we're overlapping all over the place today. The American Civil Liberties Union produced a, quote, overview of lesbian and gay parenting, adoption, and foster care pamphlet in 1999. Their research and key findings include that there is no evidence to suggest that lesbians and gay men are unfit to be parents. Yeah, no shit. 
I hate that they had to say it. Right. <laughs> Number two, good parenting is not influenced by sexual orientation. Also shocking, I know. <laughs> three, there is no evidence to suggest that children of lesbian and gay parents are less intelligent, suffer from more problems, are less popular, or have lower self-esteem. Duh. And uh, there were several others, but here's one that I really enjoyed. Children tend to grow up as happy, healthy, and well-adjusted as the children of same of different sex parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, they're just kids being kids. Um, I also want to share with you from FamilyEquality.org. They gave a really beautiful little blurb about strength and community in LGBT communities. So I'm going to read some of that to you really quickly. LGBTQ parents have long come together to support each other, as well as to contribute to the broader LGBTQ rights movement. In 1956, the pioneering San Francisco lesbian organization, Daughters of Bilitis, held the first known discussion groups on lesbian motherhood. The first lesbian mothers activist group, the Lesbian Mothers Union, formed in the same area around 15 years later. Later, several lesbian mothers and friends in Seattle formed the Lesbian Mothers National Defense Fund to help those with custody disputes. Other groups for mothers and gay fathers formed in other cities. In 1977, several lawyers began the Lesbian Rights Project, which helped both lesbian moms and gay dads, and evolved into the National Center for Lesbian Rights, still helping LGBTQ parents and others across the spectrum today. There's also a Gay Fathers Coalition, which ultimately became the Family Equality Council, the National Organization for LGBTQ Parents, just so many incredible activist groups, resources and supports. Mm -hmm. By 1990, lesbian and gay parents had become visible enough for Newsweek to coin the term in reporting that, quote, a new generation of gay parents has produced the first ever gaby boom. Gaby boom. Little babies. Little loved by gays. <laughs> loved by all. And all. I love that. Also, just to kind of piggyback of something you had said was how much I appreciate large cities who have really set standards and mm-hmm. have really like started the fight for all kinds of issues because we're from the South. We are yeah. from North Carolina which is beautiful and I love it here. However, we're not going to be starting any type of revolution. I mean, we have we have a few grassroots programs here in North Carolina that are doing fairly well. Song is one that comes to mind, Southerners on New Ground, which does a lot of work in activism, specifically around race, but mm-hmm. any form of intersectionality. Sure. So, but I you know, and I'm referring to, you know, like California and New York, right. specifically Who, where they have the resources. population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, all of the fighting. Yeah, and very it, much appreciated. And I think that that also speaks to why discrimination is still so prevalent in the South versus like traveling to New York. If you're holding hands, you know, with specifically the, in the city, right? Don't go upstate, right? Right, but. In, I feel more comfortable in larger cities. And I think that that's why when I'm traveling, I enjoy being in larger cities because they do tend to be a little bit more aware. Yes. And accepting. It's, well, and it's such a safety thing, too. I mean, how many times have you walked down the street holding hands and feel like you have to drop your hand for oh, safety purposes? More times than I can count. And that's just looking at, you know, two cis 
mm-hmm. white women. Sure. Or, you know, um, or to cis women in general. Mm-hmm. I think that it complicate it becomes even more complicated when you look at trans individuals, interracial couples. Mm-hmm. Um, in the South, it's still a big thing. In mm-hmm. in Greensboro, in the town that I'm from, um, it, you just don't feel safe sometimes. Like, I, to this day, will probably not walk around my hometown holding anyone's hand. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm so sorry. Well, I mean, it's just a reality. Like, they're, we're working on it in some places more progressively and proactively than others. Yeah. And part of our conversation today, we're not trying to be, you know, we're not trying to bring the mood down, but all these things are super important to discuss. They right? are, yeah. We can't address just the happy, like, we're proud to be us conversation without discussing the other side of the coin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's start with the proud of half of our country information that I have to share with you now. I'm ready. Dolly's I- ready, too. Hi, Dolly. Hi. She came just in time. So at this time, 27 states, one territory, and D.C. have statutes and regulations that prohibit discrimination and adoption based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Whoop, whoop. Is that Hell one of... yes. Is that... Are we one of those states? We are not. Of course. Of course we are not. But that's over half. Like, 27. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, we have so much further to go. And you, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you a hundred times. Keep. So you work in adoption. Could could you adopt out of state and then bring that child across state lines? Yes. You could. Okay. Yeah. So really what we're looking at at this point is not whether or not the adoption is legal because we've... Because, yeah. So because this is just discriminating specifically on... Usually for licensing purposes. Like, can you be licensed by a specific agency in order to adopt? So, say you want to adopt from a private foster care agency or a nonprofit foster agency or wherever. Okay. Can they discriminate against you because you're in a same-sex relationship? Right. Got it. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I'm on board. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. There are 19 states and three territories that do not explicitly state protections against discrimination and adoption based on orientation or gender identity. The bad news is that there are still 11 states that permit state-licensed child welfare agencies to refuse to place and provide services to children and families, including LGBTQ people and same-sex couples. Mm -hmm. So even if you were to get licensed, it's still legal in these 11 states for uh, them to not place a child with you. Mm even if you want to adopt and have been licensed. Mm. They can do this if it, quote-unquote, conflicts with their religious beliefs. Oh, fuck that. You know... How is that? That's unconstitutional. I believe so, too. And separation of church and state. Separate them. (laughs) Get it out of there. And I I have seen the inner workings of foster care and adoption. And, And... a way that is much more intimate than I had ever hoped. And I have to believe that there is no one out there who would rather kids languish in foster care than be loved by two healthy parents. Like two moms, two dads, two non-binary parents are better than none. I cannot believe we're still having this conversation. I know. I know. It blows my fucking mind. Me too. How small-minded people are. 
So which of the three categories would you feel like North Carolina falls under? I'm going to say the wrong thing. Why don't you just tell me? (laughs) (laughs) We do not have any explicit protections. So we're in like the second category. We don't have anything that openly says you may discriminate. Mm -hmm. We also don't have anything that says you... We love a gray area. (laughs) (laughs) However, every state around us still allows discrimination against LGBT families and adoption, including Virginia. Virginia, South Carolina, Tennessee... Alabama, Michigan, Mississippi, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. Oh, so what's crazy to me is that Arkansas uh, passed uh, marriage equality before it went federal. Mm-hmm. That blew my mind. I was like, way to go, Arkansas. North Carolina did too. Right? North Carolina passed it in October. It became federal in July. June, June 26th. I'm proud of us in some ways. Got a long way to go. Do you friends. remember where you were? Oh, we're going to get there in just a okay. Actually, let's. Yes, I do remember where I Tell was. Tell me. I was working. Um, I was working too. We had just graduated a f- two years before, a year before. It was 2015. So we graduated in 2013. I was working my first job. I was down in the dungeon, and one of my coworkers, who was just super supportive and phenomenal, came up and told me the news and gave me this huge hug. Mm. Um, she was the only person I think I was out to at work at that time, other yeah. than my boss, um, who my mom outed me to when I was younger. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was working. I got a hug. Ugh. I went home and celebrated with my girlfriend at the time. Yay! What about you? So I was also working at one of the saddest jobs. I was working in a call center, literally in a basement, which you just said you were in a basement? Yeah, I was working in uh, a basement of a textile mill. That was like a a refurbished textile mill. I was not working at a textile mill. So I was working in a basement, basically of a strip mall in a call center. And I remember seeing it come across my phone and just like being alone in a room and like turning and like there was nobody to like celebrate with. I was like, oh my God. Just like, I I remember getting like teary eyed and being like, this is fucking huge. Yeah. I know. It was just like, I will never forget. I will just never forget that. Yeah. And there have been so many momentous things to have happened in our lifetime. But June 26th just really stands out as being a huge day Mm -hmm. for so many people. Because for a long, well, and even now they still talk about overturning it from time to time, usually around elections. It feels like a hot topic for Republicans. It's interesting. I feel like it was obviously more of like a, a, a conversation in the early 2000s than, yeah. you know, I just, whatever. You lost. Sorry about it. Yeah. We're happy. I We're mean, here. They're still talking about turning over Roe v. Wade. Like, they're going to be talking about turning over gay marriage for years. Planned Parenthood texts me all the time. <laughs> makes me stressed out. <laughs> I'm like, what? So on March 31st, 2016, so a little less than a year later, a federal district court struck down Mississippi's ban on allowing same-sex couples to adopt children And this was the last of all 50 states to still have a remaining ban. So it is now legal to adopt as a same-sex couple in all 50 states. 
It's just whether or not you can find an agency to license and place kids with you mm-hmm. in the uh, 11 states that still have discrimination laws. Right. However, yeah. internationally, there's still some issues. The Hague, which is a basically a treaty that all these countries signed to permit international adoption, does ban uh, same-sex couples from adopting. And a lot of other oh, countries nice. really struggle with it. Okay. Um, so legally, you cannot adopt internationally as a queer person. Really? Or Whoa. as a queer couple... But you could theoretically individually, so long as you don't tell anybody, which is... Oh, great. Yeah. Go back into the closet. That's exactly. fucking crazy. Delete every picture you've ever taken with anyone you've loved. Oh. So that you can love a kid. Wow. You can't adopt internationally. No, not for any country that's associated with The Hague. Which is the majority? The All the ones that have like the approved adoption practices. Right. I do know a few queer people who have adopted internationally and it's kind of one of those things we just don't talk about it because legally i shouldn't know you know uh-huh. like legally we're not supposed to be able to do this thing and like, you don't want to call more attention to it so right. you just kind of turn and uh, like don't ask don't tell yeah kind of it sucks bullshit uh so let's talk a little bit about what makes same-sex couples different straight couples or different sex couples in terms of having kids because this is also an important conversation same-sex couples often have to use expensive fertility treatments Mm -hmm. um to physically have children yeah it's not free the child it's not free it's super expensive which means that often couples who go this route are wealthier a little older Mm -hmm. and are super intentional about becoming parents absolutely which means that uh, the child abuse rates in same-sex households is a lot lower than it is in different sex households. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also less same-sex couples out there with kids, so that might skew the statistics a little bit. When I first came out, because, you know, coming out stories, <laughs> <laughs> my parents expressed a lot of fears and concerns around safety and acceptance and, like, people judging me. But finally, my mom got to the point of asking me about kids and assuming that kids were kind of off the table once I came out. So I told her that theoretically there could now be up to two uteruses in my relationship. Double the uterus. Doubled my chances of ever having kids given I want to adopt. Like Mm -hmm. adoption has always been my goal, but I just think that people assume adoption is the only way and Mm -hmm. it's not fertility treatments sperm banks are also not the only way surrogacy is not the only way for men to have kids or for gay men to have kids and i don't want to you know go into every possibility here but just know that there are many and you don't want to make any assumptions when you're meeting a queer family so something that we need to keep in mind is that people should never give advice regarding pregnancy adoption childbirth any of that stuff everybody's situation is so incredibly different and i think the first thing that people want to do is insert their own opinions maybe they're trying to be helpful right maybe they can't fucking help themselves yeah but i think we all need to try to you know stay back a little bit maybe keep your fucking feelings to yourself (laughs) if you don't want to support gay marriage don't marry it's called marriage it's called marriage. It's called marriage. Thank you. 
Anytime. Yeah, you make a great point. As of the 2000 census, there are approximately 594,000 same-sex partner households in the United States and children living in approximately 27% of those households. Okay. Which felt like a small number to me, but we have to remember that this is, A, almost 20 years ago, and Mm -hmm. a lot has changed. B, it's it's hard to get an accurate count because a lot of people aren't open about their sexual orientation or gender identity because they don't feel safe. There's still fears of discrimination, loss of employment, loss of custody. Well, and are those like, so those were just like people, like long-term partners living together? Like what's, who's to say? We don't really know the. Yeah, it just says same-sex partner household. Okay. So then 10 years later, in the 2010 census data, they asked about same-sex households with children. So at that time, 115,064 same-sex households were reported, and approximately 18,400 of them, or about 6%, was raising at least one adopted child, with 11% of those being gay male couples. Okay. So it sounds to me like gay male couples are adopting more kids, at least the way that I interpreted that specific piece of data. Sure. Which Which kind of makes makes sense. sense. Yeah. 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 In 2011, about 2 million children in the U.S. were being raised by LGBT parents who could not establish legal guardianship or a legal relationship with both parents. So they assume, or they've figured out a way to guesstimate um, that 2 million children are living in a same-sex household with one or more of their parents not being legally tied to them because of lack of access to adoption. Second parent adoption can be really expensive. It's not like adopting from foster care where a lot of it's covered. So there are some issues with adoption and keeping kids secure and safe. Also, it's such a a long process. Like I can very well see it being one of those things that is like, I mean, not everybody has the ability to take the days off of work to be able to go to all the meetings and and all the court stuff and the signing items and I don't know what goes into it. Yeah. Well, it's people don't even change their fucking last names when they get married for years. Right. Because it's such a pain in the ass. Right. So, and there are some ways around this. Like my dad's into financial planning. And one of the things that he was talking about even prior to 2015 was how do you support parents who are same-sex couples who have kids Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of making sure that even if they're not legally connected to each other, if something happens to one, the other and the kid is taken care of. So people care. It's just a matter of getting it so connected within our system and mm-hmm. so much a part of our system that it becomes the first thought not the last because if you're trying to adopt a kid and or your partner is trying to adopt a kid and something happens to you before the adoption's finalized yeah like what could potentially happen to that kid if you don't have supportive family members i mean you hear tragic stories all the time at least i do yeah i was gonna say you, you i hear them. tragic stories all the time so There's research to suggest that there really isn't much difference in outcomes for kids in same-sex versus different-sex households in terms of sexual orientation, behaviors, emotional functioning, gender identity, etc. One study did report that children in gay and lesbian households are more likely to talk about emotionally difficult topics, are more resilient, compassionate, and tolerant, which I love that statistic. And I just... 
so I kind of laughed at the first one with there's no difference in sexual orientation, like assuming that if your parents are gay, that you will be gay is such a fallacy. I mean, my parents are straight. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Straight people have have gay kids all the time. But I love that LGBT parents intentionally or unintentionally are raising their children to be able to talk about emotionally difficult topics and raising their kids to be tolerant and compassionate towards others because that's what we need. And I think the new generation coming up in general is going to be so much more open-minded. Oh, absolutely. And I think just as a society, realizing that we don't have the answers, like yeah. we're, we we have beliefs, they will continue to change, but what we do, like the foundation needs to be love and equality. Put that on a t-shirt. Cross-stitch mm. it on a pillow. Mm. The foundation needs to be love and equality. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I would like to take a minute to link professional organizations that support gay and lesbian family adoption. And those include the Child Welfare League of America, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Psychological Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and uh, a group that I'm a part of, the National Association of Social Workers. So if you need support, if you need resources, these are great places to go for LGBTQ queer adoption but also if you have other resources or suggestions shoot us an email like i am so happy to add like updates at the end of some of our upcoming episodes and say hey we just heard about this great resource go check it out email us at uh podwithoutnod at gmail.com or contact us slide into our dms let us know slide in (laughs) (laughs) all right that is fantastic. Oh, I mean, this episode is giving me life right now. I know. I love talking about this. I did not realize like how much I needed it. Yeah. Wow. It's- Last year was horrible. No mm-hmm. pride. No being around other people that are like you. Like, yeah. you know, it's interesting. We've talked about this before that like the queer community is often like there's gay bars but that's it. And that's, those are the resources. Those are, those are the, the, the watering holes that we have to yeah. go to. And so, like, queer youth have a really hard time finding, you know, communities and, and, and places of support sometimes. But, you know, even, like, being without those queer spaces over the past year, like, yeah. I, hadn't, I hadn't even... I'm realizing now how much I'm so excited for this year to be able to be back into those spaces. I know, me too. It's you you're right, you and I have talked about it before. I crave community mm-hmm. and the especially queer community. You and I being queer women who are also who are also very straight passing, mm-hmm. it's easy to feel like we don't get seen often. And so having people who see us and who honor all those different aspects of who we are and who can relate to those different struggles, it's so important. Um, And you don't realize it until it's been deprived from you. When I was in grad school, all of my research was around lesbian adoption and queer Mm -hmm. adoption. And there was a period of time I was living in a house with three other lesbians Mm-hmm. And most of the people I went to school with were queer. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I was living in D.C. at the time, which is a very queer city. Mm-hmm. 
And I would forget occasionally that straight was a thing. Like it was just everyone was about love and joy and it didn't matter who your partner was. Right. Like. And straight people can still be about love and joy. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But uh, like someone would say something, I would just automatically assume that it was a queer person. Sure. And would have to be reminded that, you know. Other people exist outside your bubble. Right. And I also, I want to personally speak to queer people or, um, you know, bisexual people who identify as bisexuals or pansexual who are in straight appearing relationships yeah. or who are are married or dating people of the opposite gender you know that you're still validated i'm that, so glad you said that yeah i think that's really important it is really important i know it's hard right it is hard it's interesting you know my fiance is a cis man he's he is the a perfect example of what a supporting partner should be i Just love that accepting of of your person yeah yeah which is so sad that we even have to fucking say that. <laughs> but it's something that we, we do like have to Ray. say. Well, and also to other people who are out there who wonder what their identity is. Oh, yeah. In There's relation a, to a partner. Sure. Like, you are who you are regardless of who you date, not because mm-hmm. of who you date. Other people are always going to try to define you and put you in that fucking box. You Don't do you, boo. No way. Yeah. Do not let them have that power over you find your truth live your truth amen don't be a dick d bad (laughs) that's the moral of this whole thing that's right i am super excited for your topic me too because i am talking about lgbtq plus community representation in the media 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 i love this i So there's a whole section on LGBT adoption in the media that I really wanted to cover, but I didn't want to coordinate so much that there would be... Right. Like, I I wanted you to have your moment, so... I don't specifically talk about... I don't talk... uh, Frankly, I don't talk about it at all, so feel free to interject at any time. You don't talk about the Fosters? I don't... Well, they are mentioned briefly. Okay, so we'll talk about it. As a concept. Okay, we can talk about it when we get to the Fosters. Buckle up because it's a it's a it's a ride here. I'm ready, Buttercup. Let's go. Okay, so I'm also going to be using the term queer throughout, and here we go. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to be covering the queer representation in film and TV. Ooh. Um, I'm not going to be talking about print or music or other uh, types of media. Oh, that's a whole other. Mm-hmm. We'll save that for next June, right? Which will just be about Lady Gaga. The music of our people, uh-huh. Katie Lang, mm-hmm. Indigo Girls. Yep. Who else is out? Tegan and Sarah. I can't. I just love All the music of, of our so people. So much to look forward to. Girl in Red. <laughs> King so, Princess. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> so, what is queer media? And I did want to shout out uh, Media Smarts, which is uh, Canada's Center for Digital and Media Literacy, for such comprehensive articles on this topic it's where i got like 90 percent of my oh cool information from super grateful fantastic resources sponsored by sponsored by so harry m benshoff and sean griffin wrote in their book queer cinema the film reader about three general criteria for identifying content as queer the first being has the media product been created by queer people Great question. Great question. The other, does the media product rely on, quote, queer aesthetics 
Is it concerned with queer issues? That's number two. I love this. And the third is, has the media product been widely embraced by the queer community? I love these three categories, and I feel like I can already think of movies that fall, or TV shows that fall under each one. Exactly. But coming up with one that falls under all three is really a task. Absolutely. So queer media doesn't necessarily rely on queer people to be the intended audience. Like Queer Eye for, or Queer Eye. Yeah, Queer Eye. Yeah. It was not intended for queer people as much as it was. We are literally going to get to that example here. Oh, good. Later in the narrative. So some very obvious examples of otherwise heterosexual mainstream media that have been embraced by subgroups within the queer community are television programs such as Xena, Warrior Princess. I love (laughs) Xena so much. I know you do. It's one of my comfort shows. Probably. Well, I can think of one reason. Um, The Golden Girls. I'm sorry. Continue. The Golden Girls. Oh, obviously. Obvi. Films such as The Wizard of Oz or Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. And musical acts such as Dolly Parton. We love a queen. And more recently, Lady Gaga. Your girl. My girl. Girl, get your girl. Mm -hmm. I love that. (laughs) Merch. Uh Girl, get your girl. So many artists and cultural texts are adopted for their direct campaigning of queer rights, such as Daniel Radcliffe and Harry Potter. He's yeah. very much an advocate. Anne Hathaway is one that comes to mind. I remember she spoke at, uh, I think it was the Human Rights Campaign. Yeah. Though it could have been Glad or something like that. Yeah. Also, Kathy Griffin. Oh, yeah. She's also as well. Also, other films like High School Musical, that's a big one, too. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of queer youth really kind of clung to that. Yeah. Um, there's a character named Ryan, Ryan Evans. I'm aware. Okay, so he was one of those characters who wasn't overtly, like, they didn't place him as a gay character. But he was gay-coded. He was gay-coded, exactly. Or Um, queer-coded. And this includes elements of body language, vocabulary, dress, vocal inflection, and various other aspects that are peripheral to sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. And that happens a lot, where they they intentionally code somebody Mm -hmm. without saying it. But other times, it's more intentional. So let's talk about films specifically. Please. Please. Do you talk about fried green tomatoes? Because if not, coding would be a great time to talk about fried green tomatoes. No, I don't bring it up because I think we talk about it a lot. So I didn't place it because I knew we would talk about it anyway. (laughs) Well, I just want to... So fried green tomatoes, of course, is our favorite movie Mm -hmm. as best friends. And the Iggy and Ruth never come out as being queer. Right. In fact, it's assumed that they will both at some point marry men um yeah which is a whole thing but their (laughs) iggy is so well queer coded Mm -hmm. i mean ruth too to a lesser extent have you seen her pants (laughs) but it's impossible to watch the movie as a queer person and not see all the ways that iggy and ruth were queer coded Mm mm-hmm which is so interesting, and I wonder to straight people who don't know much about queer coding, if they also come off as being queer or just, like, roommates. Oh, the roommates. The roommate trope. Roommates at every Christmas. Every historian ever was like, they were really good friends. They were 
best friends that lived <laughs> together that never married anybody else. It's so interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's a good example of coding, was my point. I would bet that people who are listening to this now, probably not our listeners, but other people who have like seen Fried Green Tomatoes, yeah. would be like, what? They're gay? What? <laughs> I mean, I, I think they would have no idea. Really? A lingering... Oh, a pause can mean a thousand things. That's... No, a pause in queer culture means... Oh, I yeah. really want to hold your it's hand. It's getting down. Like, you don't stick your hand in a beehive for someone that you are That's not right. super in love with. Is it wrong what I did? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not wrong, Iggy. <laughs> no, she says it's a bad what I did. <laughs> She's like, give me a compliment. <laughs> Okay. You're just a bee, Chama. Edgy thread good. Mm. That's what you are. That's what you are. A bee, Chama. A bee, Chama. So many controversies over Hollywood's negative depictions of homosexuality have focused on how such portrayals marginalize and silence queer people. Mm-hmm. In the book, The Celluloid Closet, Vito Russo analyzes the representation of gay and lesbians in Hollywood films from the 1890s to the 1980s and argues that Hollywood's portrayal of lesbians and gay men have often been cruel and homophobic. During that period, gay and lesbian characters were defined by their sexual orientation and lacked any complex character development. I was reading an article or watching a TikTok, probably both. Probably the TikTok. You don't read anymore now that TikTok (laughs) is a thing. But I was absorbing some content about how so many Disney villains are coded as being queer. Like, think Hades from... um, Hercules. Hercules, who's another good one who's coded as queer. Like, Scar could theoretically be coded queer. You think so? Like, he's, like, playing with the mouse in a very... Oh, he's got the wrist thing? You're going to code him as queer because he's playing with the mouse? Well, so there's, like, all these subtle hints. And the reason is... That apparently, historically, queer characters were not allowed in children's films. Mm -hmm. And there was such a negative connotation associated with being queer that they would code the villains as being queer. Mm. Which is just fascinating to me. And I wonder if that's the reason that so many queer women really love Ursula. Because So many. Who doesn't love Ursula? Right? I mean, I love Ursula. I mean, her buffy. Let's objectify her for just a second. (laughs) Jeez. Do you know how many drag shows I've been to with Ursula as a drag queen? Oh, yeah. At least five. Yeah. Only one Cruella DeVille. So I looked up Disney specifically because I was actually going to cover Disney. So, But the most most example that I got was um, in the new Belle and the Buffalo. Uh Uh-huh. Gaston's right-hand man is the first, like, supposedly overtly gay character in Disney history. Although it's like you blink and you miss it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I did love LeFou is his name. Uh, LeFou in the movie was phenomenal and he did a good job of like flirting, but only so mildly that kids would probably miss it. But Elsa is supposed to be a queer character in some canon. I don't know that Disney was intentional about it. But in Frozen 2, she has, like, a little girl interest, it seems. Mm. Though it's never confirmed, of course. Well, that's, like, afterwards. They're like, you're like, Dumbledore's gay? What? Oh, that's a turf trying to cover her ass. Exactly. That's totally an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good talk. In Hollywood's early years from the 1890s and 1930s, 
homosexuality was often presented as an object of humor. The archetype of the, quote, sissy was popular at the time. And we see this throughout. Oh, yeah. Even today, like, I love Friends. I think it's awesome. Their last couple seasons have some really, like, homophobic humor. It, yeah, it has And it just came well. out of fucking nowhere, even when one of the creators is gay. Well, think of Will and Grace, where Jack is flamboyant. He's also the comedic... Re- I mean, the whole show is a comedy, but... Right. But over, there's no... So, I actually get into this in one part, but I'm going to skip ahead. With Will and Grace specifically, the show in general has gay characters, but they're not romantic. So, they're two best friends right. that aren't dating, right? Right. They're also, like juxtaposed with these very strong female characters Mm -hmm. which are you know one of the you know they're big big characters but it's not a love story it's not about like gay relationships necessarily it's about friendship right so you know that's how they were able to kind of get away with it at the time yeah i hate to say get away with it because it sounds so icky to me i know no i'm aware okay but i mean we got to call a spade a spade it's a spade david spade it's a shovel. <laughs> to the consumer, the sissy was not a threatening representation of homosexuality because it occupied middle ground between masculinity and femininity. Yeah. So essentially it was palatable. From the 1930s to the 1950s, religious and women's groups criticized Hollywood for contributing to immorality. Mm. Not immortality. Not immortality. <laughs> not vampires, but... The gays. Vampire. So this goes back to your earlier point. As a result, the industry contributed to the Hayes Code, which is a system of self-censorship that, among other things, affected the portrayal of homosexuality in media. Yes, 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 yes. So during these years, films could not feature overtly gay characters. So homosexuality was coded to a character's mannerisms and behaviors. Mm -hmm. This strict code, and I'm doing this in air, co- air quotes. I mean, they really did stick to it yeah. because it was it's all about the money. It's always all about the bottom line, right? Because fuck capitalism. The code was loosened in the 60s and 70s, which also saw, like, that was a part of when there was a huge equal rights, women's rights, marriage equality movement. And so at that time, gay and lesbian characters were becoming more visible and vocal um, in public life. So they were being out in real life. However, their representation in films were becoming increasingly homophobic. Right, yeah. At this time, gay characters were often represented as being dangerous, violent, predatory, or suicidal. Such as films like The Children's Hour in 1961, The Boys in the Band in 1970, Midnight Express in 1978, and Vanishing Point in 1971. I have not seen a single one of those movies. If you think about it, people were... So Stranger Danger was coming coming about. So people were misrepresenting pedophiles for homosexuals and for gay men, specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was... There was just... It was a blob. It was a big mess... There wasn't representation in the media. People probably didn't know many out people at the time. So mm-hmm. it's like this theory that's there. But like. Yeah. But you don't realize that your next door neighbor is also one of, you know, 
the mafia. Right. But since the 1990s, Hollywood has improved in their portrayal. For sure. Oh, a thousand percent. <laughs> right. They're no, no longer predatory, but like the popularity of films like The Birdcage... Oh, I loved The Birdcage. So good. And that film demonstrates that audiences can and do enjoy films with gay and lesbian characters. And they can make you a fuck ton of money. And Robin Williams. And Robin Williams. It is so good. Ooh, you know what would be a fun challenge for the month of June? Is to watch as many queer media as possible. Like, if you guys want to participate in this, I think I will. Yeah. Why don't you and I, like, start posting all the queer media we consume in... I in love that. June. Oh. And then if any of you guys want to join in, yes. share with us. Let's have a group birdcage night. Oh, I love that. I have it on VHS. Of course you do. I only own movies I love on VHS. <laughs> it's so good. I didn't see the birdcage until... Is it the birdcage or just birdcage? The birdcage. Okay, yeah, I didn't see it. Because it's the bar, it's the club. Right, right. Until I was an adult. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I was super late to the game, but it's so good. So good. Ryan and I watch it all the time. It's so good. Despite these advantages, the industry is still cautious in its portrayal of gay themes, characters, and expressions. Right. With Hollywood uh, films designed to appeal to a large audience, like as large as possible, right, in theory... Producers often feel like you can't make your movie too gay because then you're marginalizing some of your audience, possibly. (laughs) My brain went to, no, you can't make it too gay. Like, I will consume the gayest (laughs) thing possible. (laughs) So, in 2005, Brokeback Mountain grossed over $178 million. Gay. Gay! Proving that movies portraying gay characters can be super lucrative. Also, that movie is so beautiful. And tragic, right? Super tragic. So, like, I mean, my heart couldn't handle watching that one again. The film... Oh, my God. We have... Wait, 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 wait. When's the last time you saw it? Oh, my God. Four years ago? Oh, my God. What are you doing? What do you mean, what am I doing? That has to be on your regular movie watching lists it I is do so not good. deviate the fact that i'm even considering watching the cinematography. other media, it's beautiful i loved it i have had so much anxiety like we just came out of mental health may uh-huh. uh i have had so much anxiety for the past year that i am strictly on a comfort show and comfort <laughs> movie okay regimen. we'll watch it together okay that's what i need i need people to bring me out of my comfort zone but you're absolutely right because the film, it did receive mixed reactions, like, within the queer community, because the movie's essentially about these guys, like, straight acting they're yeah. in the closet. They're, yeah. they're both in hetero relationships, and they barely... So, this is a quote. I'm, a, I'm just going to say the quote. Quote, That said, the film has received mixed reviews from within the queer communities on the grounds that a movie about, quote, straight acting gay men who barely have sex and who cannot accept their own desires is hardly a gay movie at all, end quote. But it's queer canon at this point. And and, and it's it's so many people's stories. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that... People don't like that they have to be closeted. Also, people at the time were like, why can't we just have movies about queer characters? Why does it have to be about, like, coming out? Well, and that's still a conversation. Mm -hmm. Like, 
And I think it's because Hollywood is still in the coming out phase of accepting queerness. Sure. Like, we were all there when coming out was the biggest thing about you, and it became a personality trait for a long time. And then suddenly you're out, and you can have a more nuanced perspective on life, and it's not just about you coming out anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, it's about love and first love or long lasting love or other things that have nothing to do with your queerness at all other than you are a queer person doing them Mm -hmm. that's just not where hollywood is at this moment they also can't give a queer person a happy ending to save their lives no what's that movie happy end the perfect the perfect ending the perfect ending oh my god talk about so one of the reasons that we wanted to do cult classic cult following movies is because i love b-rated poorly made lesbian movies so good and the perfect ending it's a great example of that it is also not so tragic spoiler alert no happy not ending. The perfect ending no it, i'm sure it's still on netflix i have it on dvd so i have no idea i think it's still on netflix could be i can think of like two movies that have really happy endings they're getting a little bit better like uh I saw a really great... Well, why are we still... Oh, get back to your topic. You might be covering some of the movies I'm about to bring no, up to I'm you. No, I'm not specifically. We're going to transition to television. Oh, okay. Mm. So in her article, Gay Activists and the Networks from 1981, Catherine Montgomery talks about the process involved at the time in creating a made-for-television movie that featured a gay character in a prominent role. Since the main objective of the movie was to reach as wide an audience as possible, various compromises were necessary. The story had to be told within the constraints of a popular television genre, the crime drama. Mm -hmm. The narrative had to focus on the heterosexual lead character and the interactions with gay characters. So they couldn't be the the main deal. The movie could not depict any scenes of affection between characters of the same sex. What year was this? 1981. Eh, not surprising. Montgomery concludes that, quote, these requirements served as a filter through which the issue of homosexuality was processed, resulting in a televised picture of gay life designed to be acceptable to the gay community and still palatable to the mass audience. Because that's what's important, is the male gaze and the mass audience. Right. Let's not make homophobic people uncomfortable. I would hate for anyone to feel uncomfortable when being presented with love and joy. To humans! And humanity! In recent years, there's been more improvement in the representation of queer people on mainstream network television. The popularity of shows such as Will and Grace... Love it. And Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, which is now just Queer, queer Eye. eye. Uh, Different premise too, right? Well, yeah. Yes, we're actually yeah. going to get okay. to it right now. Demonstrates that networks are willing to feature queer characters as long as the show draws high ratings and it generates profit for advertisers. The profit motivation means that networks are careful in their portrayals of queer character characters. Mm-hmm. So, like we said earlier, Will and Grace, currently in um, syndication, features two openly gay male characters. There is little to no discussion about gay relationships or romance. The two gay characters are friends, not lovers, and they are rarely shown in romantic situations. The primary relationship for the both gay men is with their heterosexual female characters. Because they still got to be straight in some capacity. Right. Justin Suarez and Kurt... 
Hummel from Ugly Betty and Glee. Both characters are rather positively portrayals of gay teenagers who are solidly supporting by their parents. Yeah. Huge support from their parents. They are both cast as oddities, like without being freaks. And they are portrayed as having loving, supportive networks. Yeah. I really... So Glee... I I loved Glee. I watched it I, as it was coming out. Oh, see, I only got to watch it in reruns, which I I feel like that anticipation. Yeah. It is for it was so needed. Well, and Santana, so I started watching it I guess at the near the end of the time it was airing. So I was like catching up while I was watching some episodes that were still coming out. But Santana comes out on the show and mm-hmm. is not super accepted by her family. And I thought it was a great... They did a really great job of comparing that with Kurt's situation yeah. where he was so supported yeah. by his dad, mm-hmm. um, even if his stepbrother was less supportive. Mm-hmm. So looking at but like then, the intergenerational issues, and then, of course, you know they figure it out and, and they're fine. Right. But I loved all the queer representation. Now, Glee wasn't a perfect show and like looking back there were a few songs that were a little you know whatever but i loved the queer representation yeah some of it is cringy like i'm pretty sure they sang gold digger <laughs> by kanye west right well and then there was the whole thing with puck and the teacher and singing i'm hot for teacher mm. who was adina menzel who was alphabet on glee right alphabet on uh broadway right who was also um rachel's mom yeah in real life yeah it's a whole web what a tangled web who also adopted puck's daughter now no, we're no, really no. going down the glee no that was uh mr finn's uh, ex-wife okay so the relationships between like the straight women and mm-hmm. the gay men is also something that we need to talk about that kind of became a thing in uh, shows like uh, not even just will and grace but also like my best friend's wedding well the gay best friend trope the gay best friend trope still yes. a thing that people talk about outside of media and it's just so common these days yeah. like every straight girl wants a gay best friend i have a gay best friend you do have a gay best I friend i have so many gay best friends <laughs> male and female yeah and non-binary and non-binary my circle feels so small these days in terms of queer people. A circle is a circle. It never ends. So while some critics have suggested that this trend of like the best friend thing represents an attempt to include gay and lesbian characters, others feel that such portrayals still marginalize those communities, which I have to agree with. Yeah. You know, you want it, but you want it for the right reasons, right? Right. You don't want that character to just be for, you know, humor or for a laugh. Like, you need your characters to have substance. They need character development. Yeah. Speaking of character development, I'm assuming that there's a show that you're saving to the very end because we're going to actually talk about it that lacks character development for most of the characters and is very gay. We're not making it through this whole episode without talking about the L word, right? That's what, exactly what I say for last. <laughs> but we are going to come back to Glee real quick because I'm not done okay. with Glee. So in 2011, they had an episode that was called Sexy. So two gay male characters perform a song and dance routine before an auditorium filled of screaming girls, basically. Um, one of them hands their phone number to one of the boys at the end. And while the male character does reaffirm, um, you know, that he is gay and declines the telephone number, Mm -hmm. 
It does seem strange that gay boys in an all-boys school still need to perform in front of straight women in order to legitimize the display of their sexual selves. Right. Which is absolutely true. It is true. And I think it's something that women experience really frequently is this uh, concept of the male gaze, especially the straight cis male gaze, Mm -hmm. where we do things specifically because we've been taught that we need to seek the approval or seek the seek out you know this the affirmation affirmation yeah because we're not valid without it which is so untrue but i feel like that's a similar concept like gay people can't exist and just be gay and Mm -hmm. without having straight people process it Mm -hmm. because the show is not inherently for queer people it's for straight people right so if the audience of straight people is affirming of this gay these two gay people then you should be too Mm -hmm. i guess but also (laughs) they can just exist sure and they should just be able to exist you know it's interesting they don't have the sexy dance and i'm sure you know it, it goes along with the theme right but performing in front of a large crowd automatically validates you regardless of the gender or orientation of the people in the crowd it's just like that noise and the affirmation however this specifically was like their sexy week right every week has a theme right and it is to be or not to be or britney s pierce or britney s pierce yes okay so as fascinating as this all is i do want to make it clear that in my research it was very readily accessible to to get information about Uh, gay and lesbian, even bisexual representation in media. However, it was a very different story about getting representation of trans folks Mm -hmm. in media, which I think is still true today, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So I looked up an article from the Journal of Human Behavior, and this is a quote from that article. Okay. And this is from a person, this is a personal quote. Quote, I think transphobia is a much bigger problem in mainstream media or any media than homophobia. I think most people say, regardless of how they actually feel about LGBTQ people, that they would probably say that homophobia is not acceptable, or at least we should be open about it. But other people are very open about being transphobic, and it's terrible. And that was from Emma, who is a cisgender young woman who's queer slash bisexual, 22 years old. Wow. And I think she's absolutely right. Absolutely. I feel like there's this whole exclusionary thing that happens within the queer community where we're like, no, we need to fight for LGBT or LGB rights and, you know, push trans people to the end of the line. Sure. Or not include them at all. And it happens so frequently in media. It happens even with news stories that we consume. Mm -hmm. It's really troublesome. It is. It really is. And I do, I I do agree with, with, Emma statement and of course I think that we would agree that we that it is the queer community's responsibility to fight for our trans brothers sisters siblings alike for more representation in the media yeah and more you know accurate representation in the media well I can only really think of like two movies that have any trans representation so what are those two movies Okay, so the two movies that have trans representation that I could think of initially were Trans America and Boys Don't Cry. 
Yes, absolutely. There's also a TV show. Transparent. There's also been a lot of really great documentaries and docu-series out more recently, but those were like the two big ones that popped into my head. Well, what's interesting about those examples, which I think we touched on a couple episodes ago, is that those trans representations are from cis actors. Right. Which is something that we have to fix, and I know we appreciate those stories. However, you know, we need more representation. Uh, speaking of which, can we talk for just a moment about Elliot Page still staying in the Umbrella Academy? Yes. And so the Umbrella Academy, or whoever the director is, put out a statement when someone asked if Elliot Page was going to continue playing the role of whatever the character's name is Mm -hmm. that I forget right now. And the director or somebody said, a trans person has been playing this character all along. Why would we change it now? Fuck yes. That's the correct answer. Right. It is okay to have trans individuals portraying straight people. And it is not okay for straight people to always be portraying trans people. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. Orange is the New Black. That's another one that has a good trans representation. And that's the one that I had on my list. And I think that was done really well. And like, granted, the writing kind of, for me personally, kind of went off the end a little bit. Yeah. As the seasons progressed. But the first few seasons were definitely so good. The writing was good. Courtney not Courtney Cox. Laverne Cox. Laverne Cox. Laverne oh Cox. My God. So fantastic. Yeah. You know, really, she did a really, really excellent job. I love um, that they brought her twin brother in rather than asking her to yes. make any accommodations. Sure. They to brought play her, her, you know. Yeah. Her, her pre-transition self. Thank you. Absolutely. And I think to close this out, you know, we can't, we can't do a Pride episode without talking about the L word. <laughs> We talk about the L word so much. So much. And, and you know, one of the first things I want to talk about, you know, is the misrepresentation of trans folks on the original oh, season of the L word. It's horrible. It's not. It is, it is not great. But that there are some aspects of the show that are, I think, were good for people at the time. Yeah. We first watched the L word, not as, not together, but... In our lives, about the same time, I think. Well, and I do... So, I used to have this ritual with one of my oldest friends in the whole entire world. And whenever I would go home to Charlotte, we would go to... They still have a... um, (laughs) They still have a video store. It's called (laughs) VizArt. And we would go rent L Word DVDs. Nice. And get through, like, three episodes a weekend or whenever, you know, whenever I was staying. And so I saw the L word over years. It took me years to see the whole thing. Yeah. I, there was an old streaming site that was like specifically for queer media. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what it was called right now. And it certainly like put multiple viruses on my computer. However, (laughs) that's how I first saw the L word. And then I started collecting the DVDs from, uh, what's the place in the mall? FYE. Oh my god. Yeah, so I Did have... you also get the picture of the two women kissing each other in the white? Do you remember that poster? Oh, I do. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've dated someone with that poster. No. Yes, for sure. 
That was like the own. I mean, that was like in a Spencer's or FYE near you. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) I do. You don't even have to describe it. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, I'll let you guess which ex had it because you will not be surprised. No, I I already know. I figured you would. But yeah, so you're right. We can't end the show without (laughs) talking about the L word because the L word is still such an iconic piece of queer canon and queer history Mm -hmm. at this moment like when you go on a date or you're hanging out with your friends we still talk about who's dana and who's alice like who who killed jenny Schechter? like these are questions that someone asked me recently i just think it's so interesting because it's something that we all know and we all reference and a lot of queer media I think is building these connections in a subtle way so that if I'm in public and I want to find out if someone's queer, I could make an L word reference and see if someone picks up on it. Right. Which I think is similar to what gay men have done with the Wizard of Oz and I Love Mm -hmm. Lucy, Mm -hmm. which is not one you mentioned earlier, but I know a lot of gay men who really like clung on to I Love Lucy as queer culture. Yeah. And throwing out a little reference just to see who around you picks up on it, it's important. Oh, yeah. It's important in finding out, you know, it's a safety thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. Who's in your circle? Who knows what's up? Well, and I love that the queer community is more than just a group of people who all have one thing in common. It really is a culture Mm -hmm. with its own art and music and media that whether to an earlier point you made, whether it is specifically for the queer community or something that was made for straight people that the queer community has embraced. Right. It's still part of queer culture. Sure. So I, I mean Katy Perry really like I struggle with her like I kissed a girl and I liked it. Yeah. Don't love it. Loved it at the time. Oh, I was here for loved it at the time. It at the time. I mean, but she's still very much like a gay, a queer icon. Yeah. Same thing with Cher. We haven't talked about Cher. How have we not talked about Cher? Yeah. You know? And also, of course, I didn't want to exclusively talk about Ellen DeGeneres, but she is 100%, you know, really important to note. Um, Yeah. She struggled with, like, finding representation in media and then, you know, was given a huge opportunity to have her talk show. And she's even stumbled over a couple of hiccups over the years. Yeah, she's apparently uh, just kind of a shitty person. Is she? Yeah, people are really not happy with Ellen right now. Why? Uh, we'll have to talk more. That might be longer than the hour and a half we have already been mm-hmm. talking for this episode. People just really don't love Ellen right now. Well, hold on, just real quick. So, I mean, I think it's still important we talk about her, but, like, what is, is it, like, in, within the queer community, or? Yeah, people are real pissed at Ellen. What'd she do? Okay, but, yeah, so, apparently the thing with Ellen is that she is just not, like, the kind person that she portrays herself as being, which is her whole brand, is sure. to, like, be kind. But apparently she's pretty mean, actually. Well, sure. She might be mean. She might be mean. She might she, be mean. What I want to just, I just want to s- from from a media perspective about you know lgbt in the community in the media so she was the first woman that johnny carson on the johnny carson show had come sit on his couch was which was like really i didn't know that it was a really really big deal and so you know she did come out later in life 
she did have a really tragic end to her relationship. She had a partner that passed away in a car accident. Yeah. She was basically, you know, given a uh, TV show. She chose to come out in that TV show. It was taken off air. Very first episode she came out. Like, there's a coming out joke. I own it on DVD. You do. I do. Maybe that's some of the queer media we can consume. I know that we're not super loving Ellen these days, but it's an iconic piece of queer history is her coming out of the closet literally on TV. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I think that is important to know because I know that it did a lot for a lot of people in that moment. Yeah. That might have been the first time that they saw representation. Yeah. I want to jump back to the L word really quickly. So... You and I love the L word, even though it's not aged well, to say the least. And they do have a new season. They or a have new series. Yes, they have a new reboot. The Generation L-word, Gen Q. Q. Super cute. I heard, mm. and I haven't Googled this to make sure it's true, so we should probably do that before we say this. But, but that Tina anyway. is <gasps> coming back, and guess who she's dating? It's a woman queer woman that we love well tina we know tina's yes but who's tina dating queer woman that we love 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 i'll give you a hint i referenced her on either our first or second episode as having a tiktok rosie o'donnell <gasps> i know rosie o'donnell's coming back to acting yeah Holy Apparently, shit. we're also going to have to hella fact check this because I do not want to be wrong. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> but if this doesn't happen, it is my dream. Wow. Yeah. Harriet the Spy coming at you. Golly. Crazy. I really well, hope we have that a lot that's to true. look forward to. But, you know, I do want to just close this out by saying, you know, we have so much farther to go, but we have also come a long way. And. Yeah. I hope that we can all just spend the month of June reflecting, celebrating, celebrating. Good, good godness, good goddess. And I am so happy that we were able to do a pride specific episode. Me too. This has been so much fun. Maybe we need to change our whole branding and just coordinate every time and only talk about gay shit. <laughs> we're changing our concept. New podcast. New pod coming at ya. Yeah, no, I loved this, and I loved having this conversation, and now I have this whole list in my brain of all the things I want to go watch and read, music I want to listen to. Mm-hmm. June is about to be gay AF. AF. Live as- into that alphabet mafia life. Absolutely. And as far as in- intersection this week, obviously, I did not cover queer adoption in general, and but my topic perhaps may intersect into yours but just generally celebrating you know the lgbtq plus uh community well and yes and i think that there's a really strong intersection with the tv show the fosters which have you seen the fosters i've seen it yeah so the fosters is phenomenal it was written by j-lo written and directed maybe by j-lo but it's a yeah it's an interracial lesbian couple Mm -hmm. who has one biological son two adopted children um, and then takes in two foster kids and it's just phenomenal representation i'm a big fan of the show and i think that that might be our intersection is it's queer media it's also queer adoption perfect they talk about queer issues issues within foster care issues with adoption and identity all the things that you could ask for in queer media and also a positive healthy relationship oh very true yeah which we just don't get enough of in in queer media So 
excellent job. Thank you for reminding me of all the things I love about the queer community and queer culture. Absolutely. I love it. Celebrate yourself. Celebrate your family, your neighbors. Let's all find out what connects us all. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcasts Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanaud at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.